And so we have to annex into the city. And we were told by the city it was going to be about nine months and about $120,000. And they were pretty accurate on the $120,000. They were nowhere near on the nine months. It's been about 19 months right now that we've been working on this. Am I off on that? Where's the board? McGordon? We're about right on that, something like that. Am I nowhere near? Okay. Uh, <laughs> pastor's lost it again. But uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a year and a half-ish, uh, and we're, nowhere, well, we're obviously nearer because we're paying them money, but we don't know where it is. We're still waiting um, on a builder, architect. There, there was some property line issues or something, I don't know. But either way, but, but again, I, I'm, I'm sounding a little more critical than I want to. We're not really upset about it. We don't have $2 million in the bank, so it's um, almost a moot point. But we are moving forward in that. I'm going to talk about that in four weeks. Uh, some of that, but the, the concept of our building program and, and to build a new building and do all the other stuff is to accomplish something. It's not just we want a new facility or, or that we just want a bigger church. Our, our goal with this is that we want people to know Jesus Christ, and so that's the, it's the one soul mentality. One soul at a time. We want, we want a person that we're going to come in contact with uh, this week, next week, that we're going to tell them about Jesus. We're going to try to introduce them to who the Lord is, and we want to, people to, to, to know Jesus. And so with that, I'm going to do this series. I'm going to talk about the building at the very end, um, more as kind of hopefully an update of, hey, we're annexed and all that. But, but uh, the, the concept of the one soul is the reason that we do certain things that we do as a church is because we want people to, sa- to, to get saved. We don't have, and this, this to some people, this sounds like just semantics, but it's not. This really is a major difference for us. We do not have a church growth plan. We're not going to have a church growth plan. We're not trying to just get bigger. Uh, we we want to grow, but we want to grow through people getting saved, through people knowing that Jesus can change their life and and, um, and, and jump in the middle of their world and do stuff and be, be a big supernatural God. And so that's, that's our goal at Church of Briargate is we want one soul at a time. We want them to get saved. And so that's our building plan. That's our capital campaign uh, with all that. So the next few weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little, um, I guess, a little different. Um, it doesn't feel that different to me, but, but apparently is from feedback from a lot of, in our church and our pastors and everything that one of the things that I think I get caught up doing is I talk about we need to tell people about Jesus, we need to witness, and uh, more as the reason why rather than the how also. And so uh, over these next few weeks, I'm going to talk about uh, not just that we need to tell somebody about Jesus, but I'm going to give some very practical hands-on. This is how you do this. This is, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be up in somebody's face or confrontational or whatever, but, but God has called us all to tell somebody about Jesus. He's called every single uh, person that, that accepts him as Savior to then tell somebody else about this same Savior. And so, so I'm going to do a lot more practical stuff through this. You're going to see uh, videos of some of us around here that have got saved, how they got witnessed to, and then some that have witnessed to people and how they did that and uh, some, some practical stuff. And, and the, and the uh, foundation of this is my, my own personal story in when I began to uh, witness to people what that looked like and, and some of the ups and downs and successes and failures of that uh, in the big picture. And so, so I want to start out this morning with, with kind of the, the first step of this. And it's, and it's going to be more of the, um, uh, of the why rather than the how. And then over the next few weeks, I'll get to the how. Uh, but but uh, this is one of the things that, that I think is kind of important in understanding. There needs to be a foundation for why we would tell somebody about Jesus Christ. 
is, is this a big deal or is it not a big deal? One of the things that I've seen in the church over the years, and I grew up in the church um, back in the 70s and of the previous century, and, um, and, and just what that looks like or, or, or feels like, one of the things that happened in the kind of the church world that, that I grew up in, it was very strongly legalistic, but, and there were some really good solid redeeming things. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't know if I'm using that right there, but, but th- there were some good redeeming things, but the overall mentality was there was an us and them kind of thing that went on. And I think this, this kind of has plagued the church in different ways over the, the, the decades, is this us and them that, and I've seen this in a lot of different churches. I don't think we struggle with this too much here. If we do, I'm not you know, aware of it. It would, it would hurt my feelings if we did. But, but the idea of us and them, that, that and, I, and I grew up in churches that, that verbalized this stuff, that was part of their context, that there was the saved people, which were the good people, <clears throat> and then there was the unsaved people, which were the bad people. And they were the enemy uh, to a great extent. And, and we, we would get together in church and talk about how horrible the um, others were, the them. And we were the us, and they were the them, and we were all the good people. And so then when we would, the, the first time I saw this happen, I was a Christian when I was a kid. I wasn't a Christian as a teenager, but my parents still made me go to church, and, and I was there all the time. And, and uh, one of the guys in our church at that time, this was, I was living in Dallas, and and uh, one of the guys in our church at that time says he wants to start a uh, bus ministry where he goes into some areas where kids can't get to church and maybe their moms and dads aren't bringing them or whatever. So, so let's pick them up. There was more impoverished areas and, and bring them to our church. And, uh, and so I, my friend and I were standing there and this guy comes and says, hey, would you guys like to do this? He said, you, could, you actually get to miss some church. We had a couple different services. You have to get to miss some church if you go on the bus route. And I was like, I, I don't want to go to church. And so... I would like to serve Jesus in bringing kids on the bus. And so, so, and I went to my parents like that. I was like, you know what? I just feel like God's called me to pass out bubble gum. And, and really, I just didn't, I just was getting out of going to, to Sunday school. And so, um, and so we started this. And, and one of the things that I found, I was a teenager, so I didn't understand it totally. I heard it. It stuck in my head. I didn't understand it until years later when I was a youth pastor of a church. And I began to really process what this looked like. But there was a, a pushback from our church at that time of bringing all these kids to, to the church. There was a resistance because the mentality was, well, we need to protect our kids. And we're bringing all these other kids. And I don't know what they thought these other uh, seven-year-olds were going to do to their seven-year-olds. But these horrible kids, we couldn't bring them to church because they would somehow mess up the church or the culture or the dynamic or something uh, and they were going to be a, a plague on our children. And so there was this us and them. We need I talk, the Church needs to be about us, and we've got this good church and comfortableness, and why would we want to change that, or whatever the case is. And, and that's the first time that I saw that. And it's interesting to me that when you start having the us and them mentality, that I have never heard anybody that has ever had the us and them conversation until they were part of the us. Right? I've never heard an us and them that we were not already good. We were already safe and secure, and Jesus was in charge of us, and we were the good guys. I've never heard anybody that was part of them talk about the us and them. I'm part of the horrible, and they're the good guys. I mean, you never heard that. It's, it's interesting that any time, and, and, and you're going to hear this at different times. If you go to church for a long time, you're going to hear the us and them somewhere in, in different people, that it's about you know our kids or our church or or I've even heard people talk about this with like 
the building itself. Well, we don't want to let the building go to disrepair or whatever. Like somebody walking in changes that somehow. But I've, I've heard these conversations over the years. And you've got to be careful when you start having an us and them mentality because first, it's extremely uh, anti-biblical. You can't have an us and them mentality. Uh, the, in, in when I was growing up in the 70s, the, uh, the them was long-haired guys. I'm not talking like 80s long hair. I'm talking 70s long hair. You know, horrible stuff. Yeah, like Pat was in his day. But uh, th- that's the interesting thing. And, and I, wanted to, I wish I would have been able to look ahead and, and realize in the 70s when they were talking about these long-haired hippies, you have no idea what's coming. We're going to have hair bands in the 80s. You have no idea. The, 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 the concept of us and them first is, is one of the reasons that churches kind of lose focus of what they really exist for because it's not about us and them. So I want to walk us down through some stuff. I want to show you a little video um, before I do this. But this, this is where it started for me. I was, I was sitting in a, um, okay, so, so I wasn't a Christian as a teenager. I went to the Navy. I went to college while I was um, in the Navy. And I'm sitting in a college dorm room, and I give my heart back to Jesus Christ. And, and within a year and a half to two years after that, I had responded to something that God put in my heart when I was an eight-year-old, and I went into ministry, and I was a youth pastor. We were youth pastors of a church. Um, I, actually, Linda and I got married while I was a youth pastor at that church, um, and we were there for less than a year, like 11 months. It wasn't a good circumstance. We went to the next church um, that we were actually there for quite a while, and and, uh, but we moved to that church when I, the day I turned 21. Uh, Linda had been 21 for a long time before that. But uh, uh, there was a day I turned 21, and we, we were the youth pastors of this church. Okay. A, f- a few weeks, like two, two weeks or so after we got to that church, my parents came to visit us and uh, just kind of wanted to see, you know, where we were living and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I think my, my parents, specifically my dad, was still having a really difficult time wrapping his mind around me being um, a, 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 in ministry or a pastor. That's not really what he wanted to see happen with my life, and he was really struggling with this. Uh, now, Linda's family were ministers. She grew up in a pastor's home. Mine weren't. Um, and while they were Christians, this was kind of that kind of level of commitment was a little outside their scope. And uh, they just couldn't understand it totally. And so we went to a pizza hut. We're sitting there in this pizza hut, and my dad's asking me questions about this. And you're, you're a youth pastor, and, and what do you do as a youth pastor? And, 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 you know, all these different things. And so I'm trying to explain this stuff, and I'm still brand new to this. And, and, uh, and so he said, okay, let me, let me ask it this way. Now, this is a small town in Texas, and uh, we're sitting in this pizza hut. We look out the pizza hut window, and there's a parking lot beside us. This is the main street in town, so all of the people are cruising. You guys remember cruising? You know what cruising is? We, we need to bring that back, if nothing else, to, to just to bring more carbon uh, monoxide to the the atmosphere. But so you just get a main street and you just drive up and down real slow, windows down, music playing, drive real slow, you're saying hi to your friends, and then you get to the Sonic or the Dairy Queen, uh, one of the two, and you and you make a loop through that and then you come back down that same road. And you're talking to the people that are going the other direction with mindless oblivion. And so you get to the end of that and you just do that. You do that for like three or four hours. When you get tired of that or you can't afford the gas, you pull into one of the parking lots of the little stores along the way and you sit like on the, on the back of your car, on the tailgate of the pickup. That's, that's Friday night in a small town in Texas um, 30 years ago. How old am I? 30 years ago. So 
So that's the idea. So this, this town, they were cruising on us. So we're sitting there, and there's this guy sitting on the tailgate of his pickup. And my dad says, so let me get this right. Basically what you're saying is you're a missionary, and he points to this kid out there, and he says, and that's your mission field. And it, it, it kind of messed with me a little bit. I said, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the proper answer is not. But it got in my head because I had never thought about that. I had never witnessed to anybody. I remember, I remember a couple times when I was in junior high, like that the church went to the nursing home and made the teenagers go so we could minister. I hated that. I hated that. It was a bunch of old people trying to touch you and things like that. And want to kiss you, and they smell bad, and they, some of them forgot to put their teeth in before they're kissing you, and I didn't want to do that kind of thing. That, that scared me to death. That's the closest I'd ever come to something like witnessing. And so now my dad is saying, so what you're saying is, you're the missionary, and that's your mission field. And it, be, and it started something that to this day I am still processing and living out and trying to understand and trying to be. And that's this, this idea. He said, so you're the missionary and that's your mission field. And I had to define that. So I had to process that. What does that mean? Because I said yes to him and I realized the answer was yes. But I didn't know what it meant. If he's the mission field and I'm the missionary, shouldn't I define that? Shouldn't there be some plan or goal? Because apparently within that is a conversion or a proselytizing or something process that should be happening. If that's the case, then I'm trying to get this guy on my side for something. What's my side and where am I trying to get him? And this is some of the things I hadn't processed. This is one of the things even with missions that we really, that, we, that we're, pretty, we're pretty adamant about here. We have a specific direction. When we send money to missionaries, what kind of missionaries those are? Where are they going? What are they doing? Because there's a lot of goals out there. There's a lot of things. The church is in a big debate right now. I'm saying even within strong evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic groups, the church is in a strong debate right now as to what missions is, what missionaries are supposed to be accompanying, what, what is the job of the Christian? Because we take scriptures like, well, give a cup of water to somebody, and, and you're doing that like you're doing it for Jesus. And so what we do is we turn that into, as long as you're giving a cup of water to somebody, you're being like Jesus in their life. Except the scripture actually says, if you give a cup of water to somebody in my name, <clears throat> to do that in the name of Jesus, they have to know who Jesus is, or you're not doing it in the name of Jesus. And so there is this idea, can we be socially prudent in the world and be accomplishing the, the, the task of the church that biblically has been mandated to us. And the idea somehow is you have to be able to define something differently. You have to be able to say, okay, what truly is the job? See, giving a cup of water to somebody is a physical to physical thing. And that's a good thing. Human beings should be about that. Um, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. Everybody's been asking, yes, my son and daughter-in-law are in Beaumont, Texas. They're right beside Houston. They are in the middle of all of this stuff. And yes, it is flooded everything. Um, my kids are okay. They are, in fact, my son is actually loving it. He is getting, he's going on boats and rescuing people and big trucks and tractors and all kinds of stuff. And he keeps showing pictures of him like up to here in water walking into somebody's house. And, and uh, th there, is a, there is an important thing that says as a, as a Christian, we're supposed to be about that kind of stuff. Just going in and, and tearing carpet out of people's houses because it, they don't want to get moldy. That's, that's, Christians are supposed to be about that. 
But don't confuse the physical-to-physical contact of handing a, a, a cup of water to somebody does not fulfill the spiritual obligation of, of spiritual-to-spiritual contact in Jesus' name. That there has to be the spiritual-to-spiritual too. Or, ultimately, there's no really purpose for us. You understand that? It doesn't have to be the church. If Jesus is not at the center of this thing, then it's just the church doing good stuff, and anybody can do good stuff. It could be, it could be your bowling league um, helping people tear carpet out of houses. The reason that the church needs to be about this stuff is because we are supposed to be verbalizing Jesus to them in the process. Okay, so there has to be that. So, so, so let, me, let me show you a, um, a video, and this is kind of the, the beginning of the next part of this uh, in my personal walk during this time. So let me show you a video. If somebody asked, how do you get to heaven? What would you say? I really, I really wouldn't, I really wouldn't know. You just wait for the t time, I suppose. Following the Ten Commandments. Um, Being a good person. Be as you are and don't do any, you know, any sense. If you do right, when you're here, you got a pretty good avenue to get there. I'm more worried about this life, personally. It's a continual process. It's how you live your life. You can live your life as a good person and be in heaven all the time, or be a miserable person and never reach heaven. But heaven is here. We have there's heaven on earth, I believe. She said that uh, being a good person, uh, but that heaven is actually here. If you treat everybody fairly, I believe that he's gonna look on. He's gonna look at you in a fair and compassionate way, so I, th I think of it like that. You're judged on how you've lived your life on earth. It's your choice. You decide you want to live in heaven, you decide you want to live in hell. It's a different thing, but don't nobody actually know, so you just have to do what you feel is right. Some of us know, some of us don't know. So I don't know if anybody really has anything and what's real, what's not. Do things right on earth when you're here. Don't, don't screw people over. Living a good, clean life. By living righteously. If it was one way, then everybody would be that way. It's not, it wouldn't be all these different religions and different things. What you call is a karma. It totally depends on that. I think by doing good things and helping other people um, is the only way to uh, get to heaven. We have to go to church and pray and do good things. Believe in God, do good, go to church. That's a very good question. I have no idea. I, I don't presume to know the mind of God. Well, where's heaven? You're already there. Uh, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Taoist. Uh, we swim in the energy that's been here forever. Uh, we're in it right now. It's, it's heaven or hell. It's whatever you create at, at your any given moment. What kind of questions are these? Wait, wait, who are you guys? <laughs> what is this? I would say from what I've been, there's a couple ways to look at it. Um, how do you get to heaven? You uh, being kind and caring and loving to everybody. Doing the right thing making the right choices. Ultimately, God says he will forgive all of us. Um, angels? <laughs> Living the good life. I don't believe in heaven. I don't really believe in life after death. Uh, the people who remember you, that you live on in that way, but no other. Be good to one another. Exactly. Do good in life. I don't know. I don't know if there's a heaven or not. The enlightenment everybody seeks at the end of their life, I think, is kind of just, it's found in the world around you. I don't know. I haven't figured it out. I don't really have an answer for that. So this is this is where I had to, to come to 
that started with that sentence in Pizza Hut is, is who, who am I really and, and who are they, the us and them? Is there, is there a reason why I would need to tell somebody about Jesus? Are, are, are we all going to just end up in the right place? Is there, is there a, a heaven or hell? It, if, if there is a heaven, there's a hell. If there's not, that, that's one of the things where I've heard a lot of people over the years say, well, I don't believe in hell. A lot more percentage-wise of people believe in heaven than believe in hell, which is kind of interesting to me because you get the information from both of those out of the same source. It comes from the same place. And so is there a heaven or hell? Because let, let's, let's boil this down. If there really isn't a heaven or a hell, then what is the point of the church? What is the reason that, that people would get together in churches? And, and by the way, I really do believe that there are a lot of churches that get together that do not believe in a heaven or hell. And so my opinion is why are you wasting your time? Wouldn't it be better to go camping or golfing? Apparently everybody thought today was a good day to do that. <laughs> but, but wouldn't it be better? I mean, what's the point? What is the point of having a church if... There is no heaven or hell because the scripture says that Jesus came and died on the cross to save our souls, to make us right with God again, covers with the, his blood, forgive us, and that rescues us or saves us from hell. That should be the foundation of why people in churches get together and have church. If, if there is not that, why are we here? Is it just for a social connection, for for moral connection or whatever, because I think you can get those in other places. If it's just social connection, there's a lot of places you can get social connection. There's a lot of places you can go and have a good time with a lot of other people. And if there's no heaven or hell, it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing or how you're having that good time. They, they uh, built a uh, Fuzzy's Tacos over by my house, and I really like it. Uh, I like Fuzzy's Tacos. I like the food. And I used to go to a Fuzzy's Taco in Texas, and then they built this one. And this one's like a little mini middle-aged nightclub. It's an interesting little place to go and hang out with at the evening times. And, and I, I go, and I, I think sometimes my family gets irritated at these kind of things, but I, I talk about the, the atmosphere, the thing going on that that it's like, a, it's, a, it's, it's like a bunch of people in all those neighborhoods get together, and it's almost like a nightclub. It's like they're flirting with each other, and who's, you know, and then the, the singles and all the different groups. Are, and, it's, and it's just interesting to sit and watch people, and, and, uh, and this is where my family gets irritated when I remark about it. But I, I, I like to sit and watch that and eat the food and do stuff. But it's interesting how, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not being tongue-in-cheek. I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious about this. To me... If, if, the, if the church is not about Jesus saving lives, saving souls for eternity, what is the difference between what we're doing and what's happening at Fuzzy's Tacos? What's the difference? Why don't you join a bowling league? What is the difference? If it's just social interaction, social connection, I don't think church is a place I would pick. It's... Now, I've been, a, I've been a minister since 1990, so for me, I, I got good and bad stories, but I'm going to say the bad side of this. If I'm looking for a social club and a social interaction, church is not necessarily where I go. I've been treated horribly at different times by church people over the years. Church people can be mean sometimes, nasty mean. 
So is this where, is this where I'm going to go to get social connection interaction? No. Now, if you put Jesus as the Savior at the center of this thing, and it's about a life being saved or changed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then the social interaction makes sense. Then the, the, the getting together and the connecting on the, in a moral uh, code, uh, foundational kind of thing, makes sense. Because the, the center of this is Jesus Christ saves souls. But if that's not the center, it doesn't really make sense. And this is what I had to come to the conclusion of as, as this young youth pastor was, do I really have something to give this guy or am I just trying to get him to come to church or to my youth group because I want more teenagers in my youth group? I want to have a, a good party time for my youth group and try to have fun activities or whatever the case is. At, at, and, and because it, for me, that really kind of what it was at the very beginning of this was, I think I'm just supposed to babysit 25 teenagers. And then, and then I had to ask myself the question, is, is that what I'm doing? Did God call me, supernaturally speak into my heart, and say, I want you to be a babysitter of 25 teenagers, thus saith the Lord? I, I, I couldn't buy that. Anybody could do that. Turn on a video or something. But I realized, no, if I'm the... If I'm the youth pastor and this is a teenager, my responsibility is, is I'm supposed to tell this guy about Jesus. And I'm supposed to tell him that Jesus loves him and, and died for him and can save his soul. And that's the, that's the beginning of this journey for me. Now, I'm saying that in a few sentences, but this took months and months and months. So I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small. I love that statement because that means everybody, basically. However, society defines great and small. However, I, I saw a little video clip um, this week with uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Tom Brady. And, and, and about halfway through, it's like this little switch went off my head, and I thought to myself, do you know all three of those guys are going to be standing before God someday? All three of those guys. Is somebody, does somebody care enough about them to tell them about Jesus? Or do we care just enough about them to think they're cool and to want to be around them or go to their movies or go to their games? Does anybody truly care enough to tell them that Jesus died for them? Because they're going to stand before Jesus, which is to me a, a different kind of love. You truly care about somebody when you care about their soul, which is where I'm going with this. So, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, books, plural, including the book of life, which is the big one. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And this is something that <clears throat> I, I believe very strongly in grace. And I don't think that you can work your way into some kind of salvation thing or work your way to heaven or whatever the case is. I, I don't believe that. But it's interesting how th that sometimes we can take that subject, grace, this free gift that God gives us called uh, eternal life, salvation, and we can turn it into, then that means we're not really supposed to do anything ever. Except that it says right here that some of the books that are going to be even like ledger books or something that are opened at, at the end of everything, at the judgment time, these books are open and we're going to be judged according to what we did. This is in the book of life we're talking about. He's going to mention that in a second. This is books that are saying, what did you do? 
And it's, and it's not coincidence that when we step into eternity, God says to those that step into eternity with him, he says, you get to spend uh, eternity in heaven with me. He says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You did stuff. And there, now I know there, I grew up in churches. It was all about what you did. And I'm not trying to say that, but it's interesting. James says that um, faith without works is dead. You can't say you love Jesus and not do something. And so somewhere along the way, we have to say, wait a second, there is an action, an expected action that goes along with a spiritual uh, attitude. You, you, can't have, you can't have this, I love Jesus with everything about me. Do you ever do anything for him? No. I thought you loved him completely with everything about him. I do. My whole life is about Jesus. Okay, name 10 seconds of it that's about Jesus. Well, I go to church. That's not doing. That's receiving. When do, we, when do we do? When are we really serious about this? And he says, you're going to be judged according to this stuff. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. There, there seems to be, a, it's a resurgent thing. It happens about every 150 to 200 years, and it's happening right now in, in Christian society where there is a, a debate of whether or not there's a heaven or hell. Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? And there's, there's major pastors around the country saying, no, I don't believe in a hell, which is really interesting because it is in the Bible a lot, a whole lot. And I, and I hear people say, no, it's not. Hell's not anywhere in the Bible. You're not reading the Bible. What do you think a lake of fire that is, you're, you're going to be thrown into is? That's hell. And it's also interesting that since the definition for heaven and hell come from Scripture that, that people would say, well, I believe in God or I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. You're, you, the only way that we would even know that there is an idea of something called hell is because it came from the Bible. That's the only way we even know it exists. The, the only reason we have the term is because it was taught to us out of the Bible. Okay, so then he says... And I know this is one of those things that in society today, I'm not, as a pastor, I'm not supposed to preach about hell. I know that. It doesn't, that's why I chose Labor Day. I knew there were going to be a lot of people here. So. <laughs> I know this isn't a, a fun subject. I know it's not a safe subject in today's Christian world. I get that. But see, here's the deal. However many years ago, 26 years ago, when I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this teenager, I, I'm trying to process if, if I am going to reach him somehow. What am I reaching him from, and what am I reaching him to? There has to be a point to that. Ah, scared me. There has to be a point to that, correct? If there's a point that I'm reaching him for, or I'm doing something to tell him something, or doing something besides just babysitting teenagers, then, then I had to decide, do I really believe that there's a heaven and a hell? Do I believe that? Because... If I don't, then what's the point? I go do something else. It doesn't matter because that if there's no heaven or hell, that teenager's good, and I don't. There doesn't need to be a youth pastor. He's good. Doesn't matter. And I really had to process this. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, which was the other book, the big one, was thrown into the lake of fire. 
And at that particular moment, when my dad said that to me, I realized I did not care whether this kid went to heaven or to hell. And that's what bothered me the most at that moment. I had never thought about it, never processed it. And when I'm asking myself this at that moment, I realized I didn't care. Nothing in my heart was moved toward that. And, well, apparently enough was moved that it convicted me because I began a journey down this road. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord really isn't slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, there's a bunch of things that, that this scripture tells us, but one of them is the reason that the Lord is taking his time before coming back is because he doesn't want to be anybody to be destroyed. So that tells me theologically that if you don't belong to Jesus Christ when he comes back, you're going to be destroyed. That should be revelation to us. It should also be very, very sobering to us because every one of us in this room know people that are going to be destroyed if Jesus comes back right now, this very second. Somewhere, something in us has to say, do I care? Or another way to say it, do I care enough to do something about that? Do I care? This, this is the stuff that started getting in my head. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And so this is the question I had to ask, ask myself, who am I and who are they? And I realized that I um, was a person that was a sinner that needed Jesus Christ to save them. There's no way you can get away from this. Scripture says this over and over and over, but we are all sinners. That's what it says. So, so I need a savior of my sin. Somebody to forgive me and, and, and wash away that sin because why? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. And when I really got that in process, and I didn't really struggle with that at the time, but the part that I just didn't process through was I might be potentially the only person that's going to witness to this guy sitting on the tailgate of the truck, and he is also a sinner. And here's another thing that I had to let go of from, from the, the way I grew up in the church was, is I, they, he was not the enemy. He was not the enemy. And this is where, this is where I've struggled. At, at, I was struggling at that time, um, and I've seen churches struggle with over the years, is they're not the enemy. Who, who am I talking about? Who is the them? Anybody that's not a Christian, they're not the enemy. They're not the bad guys. <clears throat> you say, well, yeah, but look at our society today, and you've got these groups that are, that are attacking people and protesting and doing all this. Okay, but they're not the enemy. They have, been, they have been deceived by Satan. Satan is the enemy. Satan is the enemy of our soul. Every human being is just one thing. They are a sinner that hasn't got it yet. They haven't got it yet. And if they could just get it, they would understand that Jesus wants to love them and save their soul. And, I mean, he already does love them, and, and, and they can respond to that. They can have him as their Savior, but it is the church's responsibility to verbalize that and to say something about it. It is not the church's responsibility to, to hold people accountable for their sins. That's Jesus' responsibility, not ours. 
And, and this is one of the major transitions I had to make is, do I really care enough about the soul of the person that I don't have to get caught up in the sin of the person? I'm not saying me sinning, but me being, me being so offended by their sin that I can't talk to them. Or they become the enemy somehow. And I had to get past that stuff and to realize, wait, they're not the enemy. They're just another human with a soul that is, that is and, and here's something according to Scripture. I know this confuses people when I say this. They are acting normal. They're doing what normal humans without Jesus do. When you, when you see your, your next-door neighbor, husband and wife, fighting or, or, or leaving each other or having an affair or do something else, they're acting normal. If, if there is no Jesus and, and we just evolved from fish, then who says adultery is a bad thing? Have your affairs. Doesn't matter. The difference is there is a Jesus, and he died to forgive us of that because he says, hey, that's a sin. It's not good. It's not healthy for you. <clears throat> but what we do is we sit in the church sometimes, and we point back and say they're the bad guys. No, they're the normal ones. Peter says this. In Second Peter, he calls us a peculiar people. We're the weirdos. We're the different ones. We're the strange ones. Why? Because it makes no sense a lot of the things that we do as Christians. To the world, it makes no sense. You actually going to give up Sunday mornings to go sit and listen to a, a, a really good-looking guy uh, tell you some, some, some evil things that you need to not be involved with? Yeah. And you call that fun? I don't know if it's fun, but it's what I do. Because you're weird. You're, you're, you mean you give a percentage of your income, your salary, to the church? Has anybody ever stopped long enough to think how strange that sounds? That's, that's cultish language, right? You say, well, you believe that? Uh-huh. Okay, whatever. We're the peculiar ones. We're the weirdos. We're the strange ones. The people that are, that are doing the normal thing of life are the normal people. They're doing normal things. Lying is a normal thing. It, hating somebody is a normal thing. Somebody does something wrong to you, hold on to it forever. That's normal. It's bizarre behavior to say, I forgive you. That's bizarre behavior. And by the way, that's not the survival of the fittest mentality either. Fish don't forgive each other, they eat each other. Okay, so when we think about this stuff, we've got to think, who, are, who am I and who are they? And I realize I'm a sinner. That guy is a sinner too. I needed Jesus. He needs Jesus. And once I got to that point, then the journey became clear. It was difficult, but it became clear. This is what I have to do. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And by the way, that's the, that's the, um, um, the working plan for witnessing. Jesus began to tell people about the, the good news. And then it says, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. That's exactly what Mark 16 says. Go preach the gospel and these signs will follow. Jesus was just giving us the, 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 the plan. And, and by the way, that's the same plan for all of us. Just tell people about Jesus. Just tell people about the gospel. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you more of how to do that, the, the more practical side of this. Okay, But this is where it came to for me. I realized... Something's got to change. So I began to pray about this. And God, and, and I was reading a book at the time about how the blood of Jesus can, can cover us. And so God began to take me through a, a really 
very challenging time for me because basically God um, attacked everything that I thought the church was and everything uh, about my Christianity and being a youth pastor, all this stuff. God began to systematically just tear it down, tear it apart, tear it down, tear it down. And, and, and I began to do this by praying. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep at night. I would be up sometimes all, literally all night long praying. I couldn't not. And I, and, and I would go walk around the living room of my house, and I could see out my, my back um, window of my house, and I could see lights of houses. And I began to pray for those houses. And I basically began to pray two things. And this is where, this is where God began to push this into my world. The first thing is I began to pray, God, I, I need to care about lost people because I don't. I was 21 years old, and I literally did not care whether anybody went to heaven or hell. I didn't want people to go to hell. It's not like, it's not like I was an evil, I want you to go to hell person. I just didn't think about it. I just didn't care. It just never came into my head. Went by, walked by people every day, all day long. Who cares? I didn't, I didn't care about their soul. I, I didn't, like, dislike people. I just didn't care about their soul. I began to pray the first thing, Lord Break my heart. And when I began to pray that, the Lord began to do that. I had no idea what I was asking for. And God began to break my heart for, for, for people, souls of people, not just the person, but the eternalness of them. And he began to break my heart and break my soul, break, my, break my, my, my existence over that. And then the second thing I was praying constantly is, and, and God save them. And so I prayed, and I prayed. I would I'd be up half the night, and I would I'd go to the church and do stuff, and I catch myself just constantly going to the sanctuary and praying and praying because I couldn't get this. I couldn't get this out of me. I couldn't. I didn't know what to do with it. It was like something stuck in my in my heart, and I couldn't. I didn't know what to do. I was miserable, and I I'm praying and praying, and so that didn't work. I would do I, I would do this night after night after night. After a while, that wasn't good enough, and so I, I began to get in my car on Friday nights, and and I would go cruising with all the other cool cats, and uh. And, uh, and, and, but I would keep my windows up. Everybody else got their windows down in your arms. Hey, what's up? You know, you're passing each other, high-fiving across the, the, the road. And, and I, I kept my windows up because I'm praying, and that would have creeped people out. And so I, I'm praying, and I'm driving, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm nervous, and I'm, I'm scared because God's telling me, I need you to talk to these kids. I need you to tell them about me. And I could, not I was scared to death, scared to death. So I would pray, and I would drive, and I would pray, and I'm, and I'm just praying as I go. I'm, and, and, you know, you're only going six miles an hour. And so I'm praying for these kids. I wish we could go faster. It would have been easier on me. But it wasn't. It's very slow. And kid, people are looking in your windows. Hey, what's up? Hey, that's God, the youth pastor of the church. I'm like, but I'm, I can't roll down the window because I'm praying for that kid. And I'm scared to death. I couldn't tell anybody about Jesus. I've never done this. And weeks turned into months. Months and months, and I kept telling myself, just go pray for that and just go talk to that kid. I couldn't do it. I couldn't turn my steering wheel. And I did this Friday night, Saturday night, for week after week after month after month after month. And finally, six months, a little bit more than six months, about seven months into this, finally one night I said, this is it. I'm done. I'm done running from this. I'm done being scared to death of this. And I just pulled, I saw a kid by himself <laughs> sitting on a pickup truck. It was his fault. It wasn't my fault. He was, shouldn't have been by himself. He was sitting on the back of the, the pickup truck, and I pulled into that parking lot, and I stepped out of my car for the first time since this started to witness to this kid. 
Next week, I'm going to tell you what happened with that. I'm, I'm not telling you today because you're not my boss. That's why I'm not telling you today. <laughs> I'm the guy who wrote this and doesn't say tell you this today. So, And the reason is because I do want us to stop right here before I go into the actual telling somebody about Jesus. And I want us to start with this. Now, I'm telling you something that took me months and months of, of agonizing over this. No, I'm, I'm not exaggerating that. And, and I want this to... Maybe not the agonizing. You don't have to go through the agonizing if you don't want to. But I want this to start here, and this is where I think we have to start with this. We have to start with asking yourself the question, do I really believe in a heaven or hell? Because if you don't, you don't need to share anything with anybody. If you don't. First, do I believe in a heaven or hell? And then the second one is, if I do, then do I care enough about people, their souls, their existence, to keep them from hell, or at least attempt to keep them from hell. That's where we're going to start with, and we're going to pray this morning. And then over the next few weeks, I'm going to kind of unpack some of the next steps of what happened. There's a lot of stuff that happened in my life uh, for the next few months after this, and the next few years, actually, uh, all involved in this. So if you would, stand with me. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to try to make this simple. Normally, I would have us raise hands and, and make this. I'm not going to do that, and I'm... I'm telling you quite honestly, this may, this may make me sound insecure or whatever the case, or I don't know what this makes me sound like, but I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I want to assume that every single one of us in here are trying to go the direction that I'm talking about. And if, and if we raise hands, only some of you raise hands, that would bother me. And so I, I, I want this, I want every one of us in here to, to do this. I want us to pray the same two things. Lord, I want to care about lost souls. I want to care. I, I want my heart to be moved by that. I want my heart to, to be opened and, and um, broken for, for lost souls. I want people to, I want to want people to get saved. And then the second thing is we're going to pray, and then, Lord, push me this direction, whatever this means, push me this direction. Okay, so bow your heads with me. Lord, we, we need you. Lord, I know, I know I'm a lost person. That I just I just got it one day and I realized through obviously your invitation that you love me and that you wanted to save me and, and I got it. And Jesus, I don't want to ever turn back from that. But Lord, there are people in my life right now, my neighbors or friends that I have that are that are not serving you. Family members that are not serving you. Jesus, I want I want that to be different. I want them to serve you. And so, Lord, I pray for me. God, at first, I, I repent. I know over the last few months, Lord, that, it, that um, there's been a lot of things happened to our church, and I, and I have been distracted from telling people about you. And, Lord, I ask you to, to stir that up within me again. Lord, I want to care. I want to I be broken for the lost. God, I pray that for every person in this room. Lord, I pray this for every person in this room, whether they want this to happen or not. Lord, that you would get into our heads, that you would get into our hearts and help us to see that the people that we're working around every every day, that, that they're lost. The people in our neighborhoods, they're lost. People we go to school with, they're lost. Lord, they're not bad, they're just lost.
Jesus, help us to care. Break our hearts right now. Begin to open our hearts and our spirit. We could receive your love in there and, and, and chase out anything that, that would help us to see people differently. We want to see them through your love and nothing else. Your grace. And we, just like you looked out over the people and had compassion on them, Lord, we want the same thing. Regardless of who they are, regardless of what they're caught up in, regardless of, of, of their place in life, socioeconomic, race, or anything else, Lord, we just want to see a somebody that you created and that you love deeply. Help us to look through your love. Jesus, we ask you to wash us clean. Lord, anybody in this room that, that's not belonging to you, God, we got to start there. Wash us clean and make us yours and turn our eyes to you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And God, I ask you to, to continue, not just right now, but continue this week, next week, and continue to, to, to mess with our world and our worldview. Mess with our heart. And soften our heart up for people that you love deeply. In the name of Jesus. And God, I know, I know Church at Briargate will continue to move forward in this. Lord, I know it. I've seen it already, and God, we're going to continue doing this. But we want to be a church that's about people knowing you, and not just about us knowing each other, but about us knowing you in Jesus' name. So I want to tell you, I've been praying about this for a few weeks. This, is, this has been on the calendar for a while. We've been talking about it, uh, leadership and stuff. And I've been praying for, for all of us and uh, praying a, a, a lot of stuff. And, and the basic thing is, is what I'm talking about. And so I'm going to tell you this. And um, even if I don't have your permission, I'm going to pray that the Lord will get in your world and mess it up. Because I would say this, I can't imagine spending the last 27 years just doing church like I, like I thought I was supposed to be doing. I wouldn't be doing this, but I would have quit and walked away, I guarantee you. But what keeps me coming back and coming back and coming back is the knowledge that somebody can accept Jesus Christ. And some of you are sitting right here, you know who you are, that you've just recently accepted Jesus. That's what I live for, and that's what we as a church live for. That's what we're going to continue to live for, is we want, we want people to know Jesus. And so we're going to keep going that direction, keep going that direction. And so my, I'm going to leave this with you. I'm going to be praying. I'm praying for myself, too. God's really been working on me about this. I kind of got lazy recently. And, and praying, God, stir us. Stir us. We've got to do this. Make us that kind of church. And uh, so before noon tomorrow. God's going to give you the chance to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Open up your heart. Share Jesus with them. And that God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. And I'm going to pray that he makes us miserable until we do. So uh, it's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them happy Labor Day. Tell them how good looking that they are. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.